everyone and welcome to another edition of the Coltech Austin Tech Leaders podcast. I am your host Patrick Waits, co-founder of Coltech and today I have the immense pleasure of being joined by none other than Ali Sahi, the CTO at Loop Insurance. Loop are a business that I'm a huge, huge fan of. This is one particular podcast that I'm immensely excited to hear the story and and hear you know how Ali's built the tech team and how they're running the technology over at Loop. So for those of you that don't know, Loop is a public benefit corporation and insurance provider using artificial intelligence to create more equitable insurance products. Ali, I've tried to give some sort of introduction there, but I don't know if I'll ever do it as much justice as you can. So please, if you don't mind letting the listeners know a little bit more about yourself and what the business is all about. Of course. Thank you, Patrick. So first of all, thank you for having me. Really excited to be participating in this. So personally, I am, uh, my name is Ali Salhi. As you said, I'm the CTO at Loop. I'm actually originally from Morocco, which is where I am right now. I, I was born and raised here. I went to college here in Morocco before moving to the U.S. for grad school. And once I moved to the U.S., after right after grad school, I started working in a risk technology company, uh, really producing risk scores of where crashes are most likely to happen in the U.S. So our bread and butter was really just building machine learning models to identify risk on the road. That morphed then into kind of like a risk technology company. That same risk technology is actually today being used by Loop. So Loop, as you said, is a B Corp uh, working in the insurance space. Really, our goal at Loop is to make sure that we are leveling the playing field when it comes to financial services. And insurance, that specifically private passenger auto, so personal insurance for your vehicle, is the first product by which we are trying to make sure that everybody has a level playing field when it comes to pricing and access to these products. Great journey. You've been on Loop doing some amazing things. And Ali is normally based in New York. Yep. Have recently moved, well, launched in Austin. I think it was back in October time. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the tech scene in Austin, as we both know, is exploding. More and more startups growing and, and sprouting out from the area and landing in Austin. What do you see as the catalyst for the growth within the Austin tech scene? Yes, I am based out of New York, but like, for example, in, in the past year, I've spent, you know, a few months in Austin, you know, just being back and forth and, and trying to be there. Austin has a very, very interesting energy about it right now. Everybody's out there and it seems like the pandemic has been really a catalyst to making, you know, every company out of the coast, you know, whether east or west, really just like conversion moved to Austin. So it became like an epicenter of a lot, a lot of people in tech. I think one of the best things about it is just kind of like the energy that is around the city. It seems like there is a lot of interest from people that are not originally from Texas or Austin, kind of like myself. And that really like brings a diverse you know group of people. So you go to Austin and weirdly enough, it, you know, reminded me of New York because you see people from everywhere. You don't see one specific kind of like, you know, ethnicity, you know, ethnic group or, you know, background. You see just like a, a mix of cultures. And a lot of young people, which I was surprised by because I didn't grow up in the U.S. I didn't know much about the U.S. So all I heard about Texas was what you hear about Texas when you're an outsider to the U.S. But when I went to Austin, there's just a lot of young people. It's a very young and diverse city. Seems to have great energy about it. And I think the best thing that could have happened to Austin, which already did in terms of tech, is a lot of big companies moved there, which means that a lot of talent has followed. Yeah. Um, And when you, you couple that with amazing universities that Texas has in Austin or in the surrounding cities, you know, it just makes it the perfect environment for any company to thrive, especially in like, you know, the tech industry. You're so right there from what I've seen. So I'm in Austin now for um, anyone that uh, that doesn't know, we've we've flown over to open up the office here finally, but you just see it, every business, such diverse 
like obviously culturally diverse, but diverse ideas, ways of thinking, people that have come from larger businesses that then sprout off startup companies with, you know, ideas of building a business with a purpose. There's a lot of businesses, Luke being one of those, that have built with a purpose and value in mind, giving value to the consumer. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic place to be. And uh, like you say, the, the diversity and, and the culture, it really makes it a, a great place to be for tech. So in terms of yourself, as we mentioned, CTO at Loop, a business that's thriving, growing. A lot of people would have seen what you guys are doing on, on social media. How are you best preparing yourself or how, what have you done that's different or how you prepare yourself differently to other companies to enable success? Okay, so do you mean in general or specifically in the insurance space? Firstly, in general, the way that you run the teams and the way you do the business. And then secondly, in insurance, how you're impacting the industry there. Yeah, so when it comes to in general, really, one of the things that a lot of, well, every single company that wanted to survive during the pandemic had to do was kind of like adapt to a remote workforce, right? Loop actually started during the pandemic. So instead of actually having to adapt to a remote workforce, we actually built from the ground up with the idea that our people will be remote. What that really allows you to do is just set yourself up from the beginning to account for people not being in the same place at the same time. Of course, we do have, we all pretty much, most of us work either at Eastern time or Central time. So we do have that going out for us. We're on the same time zone most of the time. And even right now, as I said, I'm in Morocco, but I'm still holding Eastern time hours because usually I'm, I'm, I'm in between New York. How are you finding that? We spoke off camera briefly about our time differences and how it, how it affects and the, the, the different ways of working. How are you finding keeping the time zones, but being in the Moroccan hours? It's very good for my mornings because I get to <laughs> wake up and I get to do whatever I want with my routine. And interestingly enough, I get to do like three hours of work with nobody messaging me, yeah. slapping me, you know, like you don't have any kind of like emails coming in or anything. And that has proven to be very valuable because usually when you are all in the same time zone, of course it has its advantages. You need to be in the same time zone, but usually, you know, your Slack doesn't stop going off. Your, your email doesn't stop up enough. Uh, sometimes you get phone calls. Uh, you have calls all throughout the day. But what I realized is it, by just starting three hours ahead of what I usually start, if I wanted to start, like, you know, I would do every day or something, it would be something like, you know, 1 p.m. or, or 2 p.m. or like something like that. But by just starting at like, you know, 1030 or 11 a.m. here my time, I buy myself a good chunk of like yeah. three hours when nobody is really like bothering me. And I get to answer all my emails. I get to do my and I get to do my own work, which is kind of like instead of assisting other people, I get to actually focus on what I need to focus on and get that out of the way. On the other well, when I'm in New York time, that usually is the tail end of my day. Yeah. I've kind of like done everything that like, you know, okay, I have my calls, I have my emails, I have my Slack. Now it's like, all right, now I'm already tired. Let me look at the list that I wanted to accomplish for today. Yeah. It really changes when you start your day with that one because you're just still fresh, you're relaxed, nobody's texting you. I think that's helped me a lot. I found that as well, obviously being, obviously we're coming out, we're out in Austin now when we're opening the office here, but having done the hours in the UK, it's great, as you mentioned, because your mornings are free. So obviously I've again mentioned off camera, I've got a one-year-old, so I get to spend some time with, with him in the morning and you do get some time just to focus on, on what's going on before the madness kicks off. But then obviously working until midnight at 1am. So it's getting to December in, uh, <laughs> it's getting to December in, well, you know, winter in London. It's really, really cold. So <laughs> I'm happy to be here and uh, being in the sunshine in Austin, rather than uh, walking to that, that, that cold walk to the train station in the morning. But going back to that, what, how is Loop changing? What, what you guys are doing is changing the insurance industry for the better. Um, explain a bit more about that story. Yeah, when we talk about the insurance industry specifically is 
really what we're doing is we looked at the pricing models, right? We looked at the pricing models that have been around for quite some time now. So what we're saying is that they're not really like, it's not that they're inaccurate or they're bad. It's just that they use specific factors that usually kind of like put a whole set of the community in disadvantage. Those are usually minorities. Insurance pricing is very heavily correlated with your credit score, um, your income, in some cases, your occupation, you know, like if you have a you know, well-respected job, that might actually allow you to get a cheaper rate. It might sound counterintuitive to some people like, hey, this person has a lot of money. Why are they paying less for insurance? Well, guess what? Because the insurance models looking historically at the data have, you know, there's, there's high correlation between somebody who makes quite a bit of money and is more responsible on the road. However, what we are saying is, Although there's correlation, that doesn't mean you should penalize anybody with a bad credit score. Yeah. I personally went to grad school, right? I have a lot of you know people that I know that also went to grad school. A lot of those people have you know student debt. A lot of those people had to take out loans to support themselves while they're actually going to school, right? A lot of those people then have you know less than perfect credit scores. And if you are anything less than perfect in terms of insurance, in terms of credit score, you're automatically dinged for your price, right? So you're paying a higher rate because you're deemed a riskier, you know driver risk your policy yeah i mean that, that that's fantastic and obviously it helps one of the things you spoke about diversity is it's really pushing into that sort of the underrepresented or under like you know less represented communities and right. actually making a difference in their life obviously fintech's a, a big thing and, and, and the way that's changing but insurance technology is more of a, a newer concept in a way that that can help people do you know what I mean? So, like, obviously, the insurance been out for hundreds of years, and you know, insuring your car and house and so on and so forth. But using technology to improve the lives of people through being able to access better insurance premiums is quite a new way of thinking and a new I way. Know, of yeah, insurance is one of those industries that has been around for quite a bit of time, and it's really heavily regulated. So, you know, change is not as easy as kind of like, you know, changing communication, right? You know, like we've seen a lot of companies that came around and they just changed the way we communicate with our kind of like loved ones, families, friends, colleagues, right? But insurance is so heavily regulated that change needs to go through a lot of hurdles to happen. And also, what is the incentive for change? If you are an insurance carrier today that is making, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue with a model that is kind of like proven and... You know, you, you've become very efficient at that model without the need to, you know, you have a lot of operational efficiencies using that specific model. What is your incentive to go tomorrow and say, I'm going to shake this whole model and then try something new? There is no real incentive. And currently, InsurTech is trying to take that same model that was old and trying to improve it little by little. We're still not seeing a fully different, insur- like, we're not seeing something that like literally takes the insurance model, throws it out, and then starts from scratch because it's so heavily regulated, but by taking the pieces one by one and starting to replace them, the end goal would be a fully new insurance product where maybe in, you know, 20, 50 years, you're looking at what we were doing today and you're like, that looks so different than what we are doing now. And so at Loop, we started by taking, you know, those factors that I mentioned to you earlier, you know, like credit score and, you know, like your income, your occupation, things like that. We've gotten them out of the way. The ones that are also in, in discussion you know what? I don't know if we actually took that off. I think we did. Anyway, marital status, because this also should be quite irrelevant. You know, it's correlated, but especially the way society is moving, you know, this generation has a different view on marriage, right? And it's important. Why would your choice to get married or not be used to price your insurance? We're replacing those with more modern approaches, more modern measures of risk. We're looking at the risk on the road, as I said at the beginning of this call. And then we're also looking at the risk of the drivers themselves. So Instead of looking at your FICO score and your kind of like wealth, 
We're actually looking, do you use your phone while you drive, which is a completely different measure of risk. Distracted driving should, should be a factor used in pricing your insurance. Whether you're married or not, really shouldn't be. Yeah. And that, that's obviously bringing things forward and looking at new ways of working and implementing new technology. Obviously, use a lot of artificial intelligence for that. If we're speaking in five years' time, where do you see the biggest change happening or a technology or ways of working that's going to impact the industry, InsureTech particularly, the most? Like what can you see as being a big disruptor? Or obviously, Loop and, and the stuff you're doing and InsureTech in general is a disruptive industry, but is there a way? in five years time that we can see a lot of change? What would that be? Yeah, no, that's, that's a very, very good question. I think that like one thing that has happened over the last kind of like, you know, decade or two decades, let's say, is everything went from service provider applications or like, you know, hosted data centers and things like that to the cloud, right? Whether it's public cloud, private cloud, hybrid, whatever it is. So that was the wave of technology that pretty much all the companies, all the industries had to adopt to be competitive today. It allows you to iterate faster and build new products faster, deploy them and put them to your customers faster. But also it allows you to scale up a lot faster, manage remote teams and things like that. Now, what that has done is really kind of like impact all industries. Now, your question was really specific about the insurance industry specifically. Now, the insurance industry in the next few years, see, five years is a timeline where we're going to see incremental changes, right? We're going to see more and more use. So... One thing for auto insurance specifically that I'm seeing happening is a lot of states have started conversations around eliminating financial credit scores from insurance pricing. We've seen a lot of states start moving towards that in terms of legislation. So I think that will affect the way insurance is priced for you know, personal auto. But more so than that, I think the way we are going to be going forward is on hybrid ownership models, right? When you really look at insurance, I mean, I'm qualified to speak about auto insurance, uh, property and casualty a little bit in general, but auto most likely. So if you want to know how insurance will change, you should look at how the relationship people have with their vehicles and the way they move is changing, right? So we're moving from, we're seeing, we're seeing a few trends. One of them is hybrid ownership models. And that's, I think, I think Volvo and... Mercedes, I believe, have some in the U.S. where you pay them a flat subscription fee. I think they're around $800 to $900 a month. It takes care of insurance. It takes care of basically a subscription to the brand. And they basically give you a vehicle to drive. And then if you want to change it, they also can come take that vehicle and give you another one. So let's say I'm doing my nine to five during the week and I'm driving a Volvo V40, right? Now let's say I want to have a day at the mountain with my kind of like family on the weekend. That hybrid ownership model really allows Volvo to come in, take that V40 and drop in like, you know, an XC60 or an XC90, you know, bigger vehicle and SUV. Now, this model is one of the trends we're seeing, you know, ownership go going towards, right? This model does not really work with the current insurance model. Who do I insure? Do I insure, you know, the business? You know, do I insure Volvo or do I insure the driver? What happens when the Volvo employee is actually driving the new vehicle to me and then driving my vehicle back? Whose insurance kicks in? So hybrid ownership models are really about allowing you the flexibility to kick in and kick like toggle on, toggle off insurance and apply it to the right driver at the right time similar to what's happening with like Uber Lyft and like, you know, via other kind of like ride sharing companies, the business entity covers some things, but the driver also should be covered for some other things with their own personal insurance. Now, how do you manage that relationship? Whose coverage kicks in and when? So I think that's one of the ways the industry is going. 
The second one, which everybody kind of like is very excited about, everybody talks about, is you know autonomous driving. Yeah. Now autonomous driving is very exciting because oh, it's very interesting for me personally because what you're doing basically is you know all these factors we were talking about earlier, you know, your credit score, your income, your occupation. You're basically getting them out of the equation. You don't have a driver anymore. You're getting the vehicle. Now you need to be very careful when you do that because those account for most variation in pricing today for the traditional insurance model. If you get rid of that, you're not going to get a lot of variation in your models. You're going to get kind of like a flat. It's not going to look like a curve anymore. It's going to be everybody's in one place in terms of pricing. Now, yes, you can go ahead and get rid of that and replace it with the rating of that specific autonomous vehicle, right? So Teslas, let's say, are priced at X. Mercedes autonomous driving would be priced at you know X times 1.2 or something like that. So if you're replacing that with that, you don't really have a solid base to start with. And that's why we're putting so much effort into building the road risk network. Because regardless of whether the car drives itself or you're driving it or I'm driving it, that one factor, which is the road factor, is going to be stable because we're going to be driving on the same roads at the end of the day. Yeah, that's really interesting about like the road factors in films because you could be a great driver. There could just be a lunatic just driving and smashing into your car and that, that affects your insurance. So yeah. it's, it's actually using the technology to predict how to... You might have touched on this earlier, but it'd be like if you're in a, a certain city where it's known for having, you know, worse drivers than or there's more accidents in a, a particular part of town. If you live there, then your insurance will cost slightly more than maybe some if you live in a more rural area and there's no cars on the road. Well, yes, no. So, well, we look at it in a deeper level, right? We don't really look at the city. Yes, we do aggregates to our statistics, but the actual risk scores are not attached to a city. They're attached to a road segment. So yeah. if you go outside of your house right now, your hotel, I know you're in a hotel, right? You go outside of your hotel, you look left and right, you look to the next intersection. From the intersection onwards, that's another risk score than where you're yeah. at. It's yeah. literally another road segment that has its own crash experience, its own characteristics, its own driving data, its own traffic density, and its own kind of like speed that people go on that road. So it has a whole different profile than you know the one you're standing in right now. But in the U.S. specifically, prices, not now the whole city has terrible roads, of course, that will play into the aggregates of this, you know, raising the prices a little bit. But in the U.S. specifically, like you can't really just go ahead and compare New York and Austin. Besides the fact that their roads are different, their experiences are different, the U.S. has insurance regulated at the state level. So Texas Department of Insurance regulates their own insurance practices. Your base rates, before we even start looking at you know where you live and how you drive, your base rates for like your different coverages, like I want to cover my car, I want to cover the other person's car, I want to have rental coverage. Your base rates are actually going to vary because let's say there is, and I'm just making this up, but let's say there is a law in New York that says everybody who files a rental insurance, that means they need you to cover their rental car, you need to give them a thousand dollars per day or something. Let's say there's a rule like that. That makes that coverage very expensive in New York. So regardless of even talking about the actual experience of risk, the regulation makes up quite a good chunk of the pricing based on the limits you're going to have to cover for each one of these states. Like, it's so insightful hearing that from you. And like, it's re really, really, really interesting how these things change and how using technology to make those changes or to look into how we can improve that. With what you guys are doing at Loop, you're obviously building a business, looking to scale, looking to grow. What's been the biggest lesson you've learned so far in doing that, in scaling? What's taught you, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or oh, that was a really good idea, we should do that again. Like, has there been, obviously there's ups and downs to it. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of ups and downs. One of the things I learned personally uh, working while well, building Loop with 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 the team, of course, with Carrie John, you know, everybody on the team actually, you know, we're we're about forty people strong right now, forty and forty five. Is there are always things that you don't account for that will happen that you will need to adapt. I think that if you like planning is is of course the first step you do before you launch into anything, right? You need a solid plan. You need milestones, and I'm talking from a tech perspective, right? You need your sprints well planned. You need your you know timelines well planned. You need your deliverables well planned, and you need you know a good solid team around you. Things will arise, you know, different problems, things you didn't account for. If you don't adapt, you die. That's yeah. honestly has been my biggest learning thing because I'll give you an example that's very interesting. We were looking into, and, and this is this is one of the funniest examples. This is one of the examples I love the most. So we were looking into engaging a third party for our customer success team, right? A customer service team like CXRs. And, you know, we were pretty deep into the conversation with them, looking into their pricing model, looking into their, you know, availabilities and things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, we were having a conversation with John and Carrie and, and Ed, our chief insurance officer, and it became very clear that if we are putting so much effort and energy into being a consumer first company and a direct to consumer business model, we can't rely on anybody else to service our account. Yeah. We can't rely on you, my customer to call somebody that like, you know, works, you know, specific hours there and really we only brief them using like, you know, post-it notes by telling them like, here's what you tell the customer when they ask you a question. And this was about a month and a half before really like trying to launch. So the decision, I think like a month and a half, maybe give or take, you know, a couple of weeks. Like it was closer to two months, to be honest. And then the decision was like, we're going to try to do this in-house. And so we have a plan. You know, we have like technology build going on. We have the insurance business getting ready, getting approved, getting like, you know, reviewed by state regulators. We have in, we insurance companies we're talking to. Like we have so many things going on. And the decision was really made. Instead of signing a contract with a third party, we're going to hire our own customer support team. And we're going to not only hire them, hire them, train them in underwriting practices, insurance, all of that. And also provide them with the technology necessary for them to actually operate a call center. Because, you know, we don't have a call center. That would have completely just changed the spectrum on what he was doing. And then say, having to be able to adapt to something that is completely separate to a plan that you had. Oh my God, so, yes. So important for any startup. So it, it's funny because me and my business partner had this conversation yesterday. So we've been running as a business for just over two and a half years now. Where we started as a business and where we thought we was going to go and what we was going to do. Right. It's completely, you know, we're a totally different company to where we were. And that's just in two years. And we had a two-year plan of, oh, we'd like to get to here and, you know, this amount of people and this amount of growth and this amount of revenue. And it's important to have that goal. Okay, get we need to get to here. But the in-between bit of how you get there will change weekly, daily. You'll think one day you're going to do this is happening. The next day something will completely change. And anyone who's in a startup or any type of business, but predominantly startup scale up companies has to be prepared for that, right? They have to be prepared to. For sure. Like that. For sure. I think the best way to describe it is if you're going to be in a startup business, especially something that is trying to be, you know, high growth, right? Hyper growth phase. You need to be comfortable living in some sort of orchestrated chaos. It's going to look like it's clear one day. Well, not even one day, like today, 
Five minutes later, you're thinking, oh my God, I need to account for like 10 other things and I need to adapt. And what I was telling you about like having to build a call center, if we had shied away from that, it would have delayed our launch or you know, it would have made us kind of like pick that third party that we really wanted to take, you know, this piece of business we want to take in-house. What we ended up doing was we did a hackathon. It was a fun project for a lot of people. We ended up building a pretty much using Twilio. Twilio is like the, you know, the, uh, yeah. the, the best in the business when it comes to customer communications, I believe. But we ended up building on top of Twilio. And in our two-day hackathon that we ended up winning, actually, we had a workable MVP. And we were able to test with a few people in the company, just, you know, actually communicating, gathering the data, copying it, making sure it lands in our data center so that we can do analytics on it. And then in the following two weeks, we basically had a sprint where we took what we did in the MVP, made it stable and solid for us to actually be able to use in production. Guess what? When you call Loop's number right now, that's what's supporting you. So you really have to adapt, but not drop. You need to be able to handle 100 things at the same time. Yeah but not give less attention to any of them, right? But you can't Spin, Spinning a lot of plates. Is, exactly. Uh, is, uh, I always say that to my business partner and to people who work with us, like we're spinning so many different plates. You have to wear so many different hats. So even as a CTO, it's not just about the technology, right? It's about the business, the scaling. It'll be talked about hypergrowth, scaling the team. How do you find the right personalities to join you to be able to get to where you want to go? And that's, that's a, a question I always like to ask. How are you finding that experience of scaling and not letting the building of the team take away from building of the product building and enhancing the technology because obviously again two different places you've got to spin at the same time and give just as much attention to it to be honest it is quite hard and painful so also today's market is really not helping everybody's wanting to quit and go work remotely from somewhere yeah. else well, fortunately, we haven't had that at Loop People quitting yet because, you know, everybody's very engaged in the mission and very kind of like forward looking into what Loop can accomplish and will accomplish. But as you said, it's really hard to focus inwards, but at the same time, be thinking about, you know, a few months ahead of everybody. Of course, you need to have your long term plan or whatever, but we're really thinking about like, in about three months, I'm going to need three or four more people. How do I really manage that while? you know, also making sure that we're not dropping the ball in internal product build and communications and making sure that the, you know, the sprints are still running the right way. And from my perspective, it's just that I need to be in two places at the same time and do both things the right way. Now from my team's places, the way I found it was very effective is making sure to clearly define responsibilities with your team and clearly define cadence. So when you join Loop, the first thing you read is basically what we call, you know, like the engineering how-to. You want to work within our team of course, you will kind of like spend the first week or whatever getting up to speed. But we have documentation for you that says, here are the accounts that you need to have. You know, make sure that HR did not give you these accounts, like reach out to a manager. Here is how we run our sprints. Here's how the decision is made for what makes it into a sprint. Here's specifically how we push code. You know, every company has their different processes. We have some things that are built into kind of like CICD pipelines so that, you know, they trigger builds and deployments. Like we make sure to let you know these branches are used for development. This is how you do a release. This is how you do a whole a hotfix. This is the master. These are the different sets of environments you have. You know, you have your sandboxes and your development environments. You have like a QA environment. So by having everything well documented and rigid enough, but also allow for flexibility, because as I said, you will be pushed around left and right. By having everything documented and well explained and quite rigid in terms of like functioning and cadence of the team, 
it allows you to, even if you look that way, everybody has a point of reference. Everybody has a single source of truth. And so everybody has kind of like that thing to fall back on if they have any, if they need anything. And that's, that's a huge thing as well. Having that, it's not just finding the talent and the personalities and the people that are going to join the business and help it grow and help deliver what you need to. It's about the onboarding of those people. And then once they've getting everyone knowing where their place is and being able to, as you say, as a CTO or as a, you know, a leader of, of whatever type, being able to just say, look over here, but know that these guys uh, or this team know exactly what's happening here. So the single point of reference, they know, right, if this happens, this is what I need to do. So that also then frees you up to be able to, like we mentioned right at the beginning of the call, work that you actually have to do. Having that structure or way of working or a process enables a leader to be able to look at other stuff, work on the business rather than in the business is a, is a phrase that we use quite a lot. And that, that that's so, so, so important. Um, with that, and we're talking about how leaders can best structure their teams and structure their business to be able to do other stuff rather than being caught up in the day-to-day nitty-gritty. Again, two-part question. Firstly, what's the best piece of advice or a piece of advice that you would give a technology leader in a modern startup hypergrowth business? And I would give who? Uh, like a, a leader, like a technology okay. leader or someone that's going. And, or, and then secondly, what's the best piece of advice that you have ever had to giving you the best point of reference? To be honest with you, so yeah, I'm fairly young, so I'm still learning. So basically my advice is really to be taken with a grain of salt, I believe, because, you know, we're all still learning. I personally believe for anybody working in technology, one of the things that I found to be quite painful and that I would advise everybody to pay a lot of attention to is clear definition of roles and actually accounting for everything that needs to be done. One of the things that you fall into when you're working in a startup as a tech leader is you end up doing a lot of things that should not even be part of your job description. Like in in some times, I'm still the first name that comes in somebody's mind within our company when they think, oh my God, I have a technology problem. Regardless of what that problem is, they're like, oh my God, Ali needs to know about this. Guess what? Ali doesn't. There is a person that is designated to actually take in all the kind of like the bug fixes. They have a spot. They have like a, a form for you to fill. He creates a ticket automatically. We take a look at it. But when you don't like define that from the get go, even when you start to introduce that process, people still associate yeah, you with, oh, my God, I've got a problem. So I would say, you know, the, the number one thing for any technology leader is to separate that day to day operations of the rest of the business versus products built. I'm talking about a, a a technology leader here that also has some sort of oversight of a product. If they don't, then of course, they should be worried about kind of like operational IT and stuff like that. But if they are doing product builds, define that boundary there. Because when you don't, then like, for example, I need to be thinking about our next kind of like app release or something, right? I should not be worried about this person's kind of like credentials or this person's, you know, software acting up or this person is unable to do XYZ. That should not be part of my worries if I'm worrying about, you know, like reviewing product backlog with somebody or reviewing kind of like, you know, with the DevOps team, reviewing our networking or whatever it is that I'm doing, right? That's honestly, if, if I had taken this piece of advice, if anybody had told me this at the beginning of starting Loop, I would be in a much better place. <laughs> I can tell you that much because right now I'm, I'm in two places at the same time and it's really kind of like, you know, you have to manage that. Get here, get here, get here. Of course, you end up doing it because it's your job to do it. But then you end up exhausted at the end of every day. There is no day that goes by where you're like, you know what? Today I've made a lot of progress, but I'm also feeling pretty relaxed. That doesn't happen when you have to take care of both sides. Yeah, of course. 
that goes back to what we mentioned earlier about the process and, and setting standards and accountabilities from the get-go. Yeah, this should be taken with a grain of salt too, because I, I do personally believe that that's the right way to do it. But everybody, like I can already see somebody like hearing that and saying, I'm trying to figure out those as we go. How do you want me to define them? And that's really when it gets sticky. Because I promise you, we define things and then we're just comfortable saying we were wrong. Like I, I work with my engineers and we define a cadence of something. And then a week later, we realize, or two weeks later or something, this is causing us a lot of pain. Going through this process causing us a lot we go and we change it. We make sure everybody on the team agrees. And then that's it. We move forward. And that, again, it goes back to what we mentioned earlier about being able to adapt and change. There is an ever-changing scenario all the time. So having a process one day, being able to then say, you know, quickly, the best businesses that I've, I've seen or I've been involved in or, or helped grow and, you know, hopefully what we're doing at the moment ourselves, are able to say, try quickly, let things fail or succeed. If they fail, change again. Rather than sitting around, and fail a hundred times like fail a thousand times yeah. is better than getting it like yeah if you don't fail a hundred times or a thousand times you're actually waiting so long to perfect a product and by the time you get it out it's just not it's irrelevant. irrelevant yeah it's irrelevant everything changes like apartments change everything changes the environment around it changes so you get to that point all of a sudden you've built you know a very secure cd nobody uses cds anymore like, nobody uses yeah. you know anything like that anymore so yeah i i would agree with you just kind of like being adaptable like really just kind of like adaptable but also not losing sight and not losing focus because you can't let your day-to-day -day take over, you know, what you're shooting for and, you know, your, your OKRs or whatever it is, you know, your, your quarterly, your yearly, and then you're like three to five years. It's so important, as you say, having that goal and not being so caught up on, we need to do it this way, being able right. to change it and see, because if you ever look, ever look at a map, nine times out of 10 on this, but there's a point to point, right? This is how you're going to get to here to here. It's never a straight line. There's always, you got to take this road and turn here, turn here, turn here. So you have to be prepared to make those changes. So with that, obviously, one thing I always like to wrap up on is about Loop and the business. I know, obviously, I've seen a lot about it. I know probably listeners and, and many people have, but what is the end goal, not the end goal, or the, the main mission for Loop in three, two, five, ten years? What's Loop going to be? Luke is really trying, as I said at the beginning of this call, Luke is trying to level the playing field and access to financial services products. That's our mission right now. We might expand that uh, beyond financial services products. But right now, our motto is really to use, like the, the reason we exist, right, is to use technology to level the playing field for people who haven't had access to specific types of products, right? And currently, we found that the biggest impact we can make is in the insurance space. That's where Loop is hidden right now, is really having a good handle on this insurance space and then moving on to where we can find synergies and starting to expand our product line. So in three to five years, I would love for our product lines to include more than insurance, but at the same time, still keep growing geographically the insurance business, but also growing it in terms of business lines. So right yeah. now we're personal auto, we might want to grow into multiple business lines in the future. I'm a bit of a fanboy of uh, of loop i've okay. seen so much about the business seen it obviously from over the last sort of six six months me personally being interested in the company and seeing it grow and and, and everything you guys are doing and i think yeah. it's a fantastic company fantastic mission from what you guys are doing a brilliant yeah i'm really really grateful for you joining us today and giving us the insights because genuinely it's been really 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 insightful so for anyone that would like to get in touch with you or you know ask some other questions that i might not have covered or seek some advice where, where can people best contact you 
LinkedIn is probably the best. You can find me at Ali Salhi at LinkedIn. You're going to recognize me. I mean, I have a loop all over my profile. Yeah, it's it's a very good time for people to be reaching out, either asking questions about the business or really asking questions if they want to work at Loop. From a technology perspective, we are hiring, you know, we're hiring a few people. We're growing the technology team right now. We're looking for a few key players like, you know, backend engineers in Python and kind of like database engineers and things like that. We're also looking for product managers for, for consumer-facing technologies. And right now is a perfect time to reach out if, if, if people are interested know, in the product team. I know someone who could probably help you with the staffing of the business. I'll introduce you to him. Shoot in my way. Yeah, shoot in my way. I'll make the intro to our, to our HR person. They can connect together. Yeah, Ali, thank you so, so much for joining us today and sharing the great story of Loop yourself and the insights. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you for your time as well. Thank you for having me. No worries.